If you're male or you're female, Paul is saying you're all saved by the singular Savior. There's only one blood that cleanses. There's only one body that spiritually feeds you. There is only one Lord, one faith. Conversation begins here in Ephesus. I mentioned that sometimes conservative Christians and just act as though there is no difference and that the gospel just removes all difference in our lives. That's not good. But there's also the more liberal-leaning air that insists that every conversation starts with our difference. And actually, the more different you are, it almost gives you a, a secret Gnostic sort of knowledge into God that other people can never have besides you. And just notice that that is not where Paul is starting this morning. Paul is starting with their fundamental unity as followers of Jesus Christ. They are different, but they are united. Our family had a, a really, really great Christmas break. Kids are off school, so the, the, there's no homework. There's no getting up early in the morning. Church life kind of settles down for a week, and so there's, there's no meetings at nighttime. So just it really provided some just great time together as a family. One of the, the shows that we like to watch in the Saunders household is the Andor series. It takes place in the, uh, the, the Star Wars sort of world. It's, it's a mini-series. And in this mini-series, it, it's about the rise of Palpatine and the Empire. We like Star Wars. It's, it's one of the, the very few shows. It's clean and it's actually well done. Usually you can't get both of those in the same series. And so we, we really like it. And of course, this is the, the rise of the empire. It's the rise of Palpatine. And Palpatine, he wants order in the galaxy. But his, his definition of order and unity is, is all wrong. So you have stormtroopers. They don't have names. They just have numbers. They all look the same. The world's run by machines. Those machines are efficient. They don't make errors. There's very little room for regional difference, and so every planet needs to fall under this one supreme governor of order. Now, the, the, the problem is it's not so much that, that Palpatine wants unity per se. That, that's not the main problem, but rather the, the problem is the way that Palpatine and the empire is going about it. Basically, Palpatine understands unity as just stripping everyone of their identity and forcing external measures of unity among the people. We might say as Christians, this would be the external demands of the law are being forced on the people. But eventually this is very superficial, it's going to backfire, and it is going to be the rise of the resistance. You see, here's what makes Christianity so radically different than Palpatine and really every other form of unity in the world. All other movements in the world, whether it be a political, religious, military, whatever the movement is that is calling for unity amongst the people, it always depends on the external conformity to what the ruler is saying. But what we see here in Ephesians is that the gospel is so different. Everything else is external, conform to this code. But the gospel and the unity it provides is actually organic. It's, it's life-giving. It's natural. You're plugged in not to a law, but you are in Jesus. There's an organic relationship here. Together, we are growing in Christ. We're plugged into the same life. And because we are plugged into the same Christ, we ought to be growing into the same unified 
directions, but one of the key insights from Herman Bovink, the very well-known Dutch theologian, is that grace does not destroy our nature, but rather grace renews our nature. So grace does not wipe out that you're a man or wipe out that you're a woman. Grace does not wipe out that you're Korean or African American, but rather grace is renewing your nature. So we have very different people that are organically, organically and relationally connected to Jesus, and therefore we are all being renewed as different people into the same image. In our difference, we go to the same source for life, and it's that common source of life that is feeding us all, and therefore we are now, as different people, one in Christ. Notice with me in, in verse 1. This is after the first three chapters, all that Paul has already said about the gospel. And there is this great shift. It's actually the the last sermon I gave in November before taking an Advent break. This great gospel imperative. Because of the gospel, because of the good news, because of who you are in Jesus Christ. Here's the command. Walk now in a manner worthy of your calling. This would be... Discipleship one-on-one. You've just become a Christian. You've just understood what it means to follow Jesus. You understand now what it means that Jesus has died for you, that you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You're a brand new Christian. Paul is saying here, here's the very first thing I want you to do, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You might, you might assume, well, the very first thing would be, who do I go tell? Or how do I fulfill the Great Commission? Or how do I be light in the world? Or how do I change the city? Those are true and wonderful applications. But look at what Paul says is the very first implication of being in Christ. He goes on to write, With humility, gentleness, and patience, bear with one another in love so as to maintain unity. Before talking about ministry out in the city, Paul is saying discipleship 101 is how are you relating with others here in the church? How are you promoting church unity? Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel by being united with other believers in the family of God. Because here's the honest truth. Here's the rub of this text. The unity of the church sounds amazing as a theological principle that you read about in a book. It sounds great on paper, but we all know in real life it's not quite that simple. What's often more simple is is how do you get the wolves out out of the church? You know, people are just saying crazy heresy, the real bad guys. It's easy to get them out. But the real difficult part is how do the sheep actually get along? It's, it's, it's not quite as easy. You, you read about it on paper and you think, yes, I like that idea. I'm for that idea. But in real life, it is not often quite that easy because we're very different. We're very different people. Some of you are, are artsy and you like beauty and you're drawn to the mystery and wonder of the Christian faith. There's others here that are black and white and like really concise and precise dogmatic theology. It's hard to say which one's more right than the other. And you can talk about, well, we're unified. We believe the same things, but then eventually you get to your Wednesday night small group and you need to talk about 
the sermon text for the week. And you're not going to quite see eye to eye. You confess the same thing, but the practicality of it is that you're going to live it out a little different. One of the big debates of our day is how does the church engage the world? And there are going to be some that want to take a real just bold approach. I just need to be bold and courageous and tell the world how it is. And there's other people that say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to earn a hearing. I want to be kind and respectful. Again, we confess the same things, that Jesus is Lord, we want to engage the culture, we want to be evangelistic, but the, the cultural approach, the, the personality, the, the temperament is very different, and so therefore there's a lot of Christians that are just speaking right past one another because of our difference. How do we care for the poor? How do we vote? We all, we all know we want to vote in a way that honors Jesus. We go to the Bible to understand His law, and that gives us convictions for how to vote, and yet we often end up in different places. We miss each other. We're, we're different. We're diverse. When it comes to leadership in the church, some people want a really aggressive, faith-filled, let's advance the mission of the church and be sold out for Jesus in the world. Other people say, no, I just want a more cautious, trust God through small steps of faith. Again, it's, it's not that one's more right than the other, but we're just different. We see the world differently. We have different personalities. We have different temperaments. We come from different backgrounds. We have different struggles, meaning it can be very hard to do life together. Now, we trust that if we're in Christ, that one day we are all to be conformed into that same image of Jesus Christ. But that work is not yet fully done. And therefore, Paul is reminding us, you really need to work at being unified in the church. It's not going to be automatic. Look with me at verse 2. After Paul's saying, live out your calling, live in such a way that honors the unity of the church, Paul gives three very important words that we need to be applying to our lives in order for us to be unified. The three words are humility, gentleness, and patience. So as soon as you become a Christian, here's the first thing I want you to do, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. As you interact with other Christians in God's family, I want you to be humble, I want you to be gentle, and I want you to be patient. Let's go through those three words real quick. Number one, humility. As you interact with others, you ought to have a, a, a humble posture towards others. Humility is it's not self-loathing, it's not self-deprecating, but humility is simply the posture of your heart that says, before God and before my brothers and sisters, I am concerned with just that, primarily concerned with God and primarily concerned with my brothers and sisters. Humility is not weakness, it's actually the strength to live out of your identity in Jesus Christ, trusting that you are filled in Jesus Therefore, you can be outward-facing before you are inward-facing. The word gentleness, Paul says, as we are interacting with other people, especially people that are different than us, let's be gentle. Let's be kind. No one likes a prickly person. You know, the, the, the problem in the world today is that gentleness is just a lost category. So out in the world... As soon as you disagree with somebody, you're either labeled as a racist and a bigot or you're labeled as a closet communist. I mean, those are the only two categories that we have for disagreement in the world. And at least here in the church, let's not be so quick to assume the worst. Now, if they're 
are racist and, and communist here. I hope that we would know that and we would use those terms. But my sense is none of you are racist, none of you are communist. And so let's have honest, gentle conversations about where we disagree so that we might mutually edify one another and promote the unity of the family of God. Assume the good. And when somebody does need to be corrected, correct them like you would want to be corrected. In gentleness. Like how a good mother or a good father would correct their children. They would do it with gentleness. Assume the best. Don't be uh, suspicious. Be bold in the world, but be gentle with those here in the church. The final word that Paul gives us is the word patience. The Greek word for patience is macrothumio. Macrothumio, the, the, the prefix, macro is likely what you think of when you hear the word macro. Macro means big, it means large. Think of macroeconomics. It's talking about economics on a, a global scale. So macrothumio literally means that you ought to be largely passionate as you interact with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, when you hear that macro passion, that is the most literal reading of the word, but you are likely thinking of the word incorrectly because when we hear the word passion today, we think of the passions as being very good. So I'm very passionate about God, or I'm very passionate about college football or passionate about my family. We think of passion in a good way, but the Greeks understood the passions as being negatives. So the, the, the passions are the, the inner turmoil that you might experience in life, that because we're, we're very complex and we're divided and we're not simple, we are always being pulled in different directions, meaning that we are a suffering people. That's why the Westminster Confession says that God is without parts or passions, meaning God is simple. He's never pulled in any passionate direction, meaning there is no suffering in God. What does that complex Greek word mean for us? Older translations, older English translations would have translated this verse as we ought to be long-suffering people. It's not, not passionate, not patience, but they would have used the phrase long-suffering. That as we live together, that we have to suffer a long time with one another. And by, by suffering here, Paul doesn't mean uh, the kind of suffering that we have to care for somebody that is going through cancer or caring for an elderly family. We, we should do that, absolutely. But that's not what Paul has in mind here. What Paul has in mind is as you are doing life with one another, because that person is a little different and you're not always going to see eye to eye with them, there is going to be a level of suffering that comes with just sticking with them. You're not always going to be on the same page. Even though you confess the same great truths about the gospel, there's going to be friction and rub in our relationships with one another. And Paul says, I want you to suffer alongside that person for a macro amount of time. A long, long time. That person's artsy. I'm type A. We are not coming to the exact same conclusion, but no matter what, I am sticking with that person. We see this situation very differently, but no matter what, I'm going to bear the cost of sticking with my brother or sister 
in the Lord. Unity. Church unity does not mean that we are always going to see eye to eye on every situation. Church unity means long-suffering, that especially when we don't see eye to eye, that we're not going to bail. But we're going to stick together as a church family because there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So we're very different people. We confess the same things, but we are still very different. And so for the sake of unity, we often just need to slow down, take a deep breath, assume the best, trust the Lord, and then together, macro, long time, suffer together. Because if we are united by the cross, then God forbid that we would ever be divided by anything less. God forbid us from being divided by temperament, being divided by class, being divided by ethnicity or personality or education level. God forbid us from being divided by anything except for the blood of Jesus Christ alone. But in order for that to happen, we are going to have to be like Jesus who had a long-term view of suffering for the sake of his people, of being concerned with others, of being gentle in our interactions because of our unity. We will need to suffer together. So that's point number one, a unity that serves diversity. Point number two, diversity that serves unity. Look with me at verse 7. Paul writes, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, a first reading, that can be a little bit confusing. What, God gave more grace to, to somebody than me? Does that mean he's more saved or, you know, she has a, a more special place in heaven before me? That's, that's not at all what it means. The blood of Jesus was sufficient to save everybody in the exact same way. So this is not talking about status levels or anything like that in terms of justification. Together, we are all brothers and sisters, co-heirs in the Lord. We are equal before God because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. But God has given to us the grace of gifting in different measures, meaning we all have certain strengths and weaknesses. We also come from different cultural backgrounds that have shaped us and formed us. Paul often will write that we're even shaped by our suffering. And so we suffer so that we can comfort others. And some have suffered in a significant way. So there's a grace that comes through the experience of suffering so that you might bless other people. We all certainly have different gifts. God has given to each one of us a different grace. And we are to use that different grace to promote the greater unity of the body. The image that Paul will use in 1 Corinthians is that, the image of a body. Think of a a healthy body and how it functions. A healthy body is united in purpose. It's all doing the same thing. But each part of the body has a very different role. And so your brain is made up of, of different cells, has a different function than your legs. Your legs have different cells and also has a different Role. Your brain is for thinking and the electric synapses that control your body. Your legs are for getting you from one place to another. Very different and yet also united. 
And a healthy body needs every part of the body to do its distinct, diverse role, but in a way that promotes the greater good of the body. Think, think how chaotic you would be if your brain thought, go to the right, but your legs interpret that as go to the left. You would be a mess of a person, let alone if you take out the heart or the nerves or the intestines. You, you need every part of your body doing its specific individual role, but always in the greater interest of the human body. It's the same thing here in the Lord's body, in the church, that God has given a certain grace to you that the whole church needs. What you have is a gift, and our encouragement would be to give that gift away. It almost feels new agey for me to say it this way, but it is true. God has made and formed you in a very special way that is different than anyone else here this morning. He's given you gifts. He's given you experiences. He's given you abilities. And without you here, the whole body is going to suffer. You're special. Give your gift away for the sake of unity. Imagine if your brain decided just to take some time off. You know, I'm too busy at work. The kids are driving me nuts. And your brain just thought, you know, I just need some time away from the body. You die. You, you, you need the brain. We need one another. That's you here in this body. We believe in an organic and spiritual power that brings us together. If you are a member here, your differences are drafted into this body, meaning this body really needs you. And it is specifically your difference that we need. You know, what, what so often happens in a church is that because of difference, people feel left out. And we just want to flip that on its head. We want to say, because you are different, all the more reason that we need you. What can often happen is, Somebody might come to a church and they, they look out and say, well, th this church is, is full of young people. I'm older. I'm not really sure where I fit in. Or this, this church has so many kids. I don't have any kids. Do, do I belong here? Or a church has a lot of degrees. Or it feels like everybody lives in a certain neighborhood. Or a church is made up of people that have a different color of skin than mine or from a different ethnic background. I'm, I'm, I'm different. I'm not sure I belong here. And what Paul would say is, praise God that you're different. The difference is good. One of the clear signs that you know that the Spirit of God is actually at work is that when people that are really different are actually coming together in the Lord's family. If everyone was the exact same, we just had the same interests, same background, same gifts, same social class, would that be impressive or that just be another social interest group? I mean, an interest group is a dime a dozen. But when there's very different people that are collectively coming together under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ, then the outside world looks at it and says, I don't know why those different people are actually coming together. There must be some kind of power to this gospel that they are proclaiming. Similar people coming together is not impressive, but when very diverse people are coming together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a power that only the Lord Jesus Christ can do. The difference is good. 
the difference in the body of Christ actually shows off the gospel for all that it is. So do not ever run from the difference, but use the difference as a way of elevating the uniting blood of Jesus Christ alone. Out of all the movements in the history of the world, there is not a movement that comes even close to the movement, the institution of the church and its ability to bring together diverse people under one common banner. Yes, of course, I know the church has a lot of wards, there's a lot of stains on the church, but even still, there is no movement that is nearly as unified and also diverse as the institution of the church. What's the reason? It's the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our differences elevate our unity, actually highlights the unity and power of Jesus. At two points, therefore I have two points of applications, then we'll wrap it up. First point of application. Do not be the kind of person that disrupts the unity of the church. There's a oneness here. There's, yes, a theological oneness. We confess the same things theologically. We confess a common faith. But there is also a very real organic relational connectedness here. Because together, we are in Christ. Remember, that's the main point of this letter. We're in Christ together. So do not ever be the kind of person that divides what God has brought together. Gossip, backhanded comments, just dropping subtle hints that could be divisive. Do not be the kind of person that makes two out of what God has made one. You want to be humble. You want to be gentle. You want to be long-suffering. Maybe I'll say those three verbs in the opposite way. When you come to church, do not be arrogant. Do not be harsh. Perhaps most importantly, do not be the kind of person that is quick to give up on one another. Macrothumio is long-suffering, that we are to suffer for a long time together. The inverse of that would be, do not be the kind of person that is quick to give up on our relationships here. Quick to bail, quick to move on. Our encouragement would be, on the authority of God's Word, to, to stick with it, to stick with this family. This, of course, does not mean that we are always going to see eye to eye. This does not mean that we just need to be happy and smiling. You know, everything at church is always peachy. No, there's, there's a, a real way that you can be honest about your disagreements, but to be honest in a way that is still for the church, that is still promoting the peace, promoting the unity. There's, there's a way to be honest with your frustrations that still serves the unity of the church, which is a very different way than to be so honest that you're dropping subtle hints of disagreement that are tearing the church apart. Be the former. Point of application number two. Our encouragement to you would be to embrace the difference, to embrace the diversity. What a boring place it would be if everybody was just like you. Praise God, we're different. We, we, we have one faith. Again, there's a theological connectedness. We have one faith. Our one faith is, is, is guarded by the Scriptures for us specifically. That's fleshed out for us in the confessions and catechisms of the church. There's this one faith 
that binds us together as one. And then underneath that one faith, celebrate, embrace the difference. There are people here that are very different than you. And you need that difference. God has providentially brought you into this family together. And you need from that other person what their difference is. Embrace it. Don't run from it. And then also give what you have. Even if you're very different, God has made you in such a way that you have a gift that you ought to give. Embrace the difference. I, I don't want to steal too much from Demiron here. This is going to be Demiron's second time leading at the Lord's Supper. So I feel like a bad boss is probably going to steal some of his thunder. But after I pray, we're going to come to the Lord's Supper. And there is no better picture of Ephesians chapter 4 than the Lord's table. You'll notice in front of me that there is just one table. There's just one meal for feasting. This is a table of unity, of one family coming together for a family meal. That's going to be hosted by, we don't do a Savior who is calling us to feast with him right now. We don't do household Lord's suppers. We don't do small group Lord's suppers. We don't do it in dorm rooms. There's a lot of reasons why we don't do that. But one of the main reasons is we want to do it together. We want to be united together in Christ. And my special encouragement to you this morning would be as we come to the Lord's table to take special notice of your brothers and sisters that are coming forward to partake. And even notice how different they are than you. Now, don't be weird. I mean, don't, don't stare too long. Don't, don't be awkward. But in a non-weird way, look at the people. See their faces. Re recall their gifts. Re recall some of the things that they've done to actually help this church, even though their gifts are really different than yours. Look at them. Remember their stories. Think of the ways that they've ministered to you. Remember the, the trials that they have come through. And yet by God's grace, they're still walking with the Lord. Notice even different colors of skin and different ages and different degrees. See the difference. And then see the beauty of the difference. Coming together to be united in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is unity in our diversity, and it is our diversity that actually elevates the unity of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And it is this table that is the best picture of it. So I will pray, and I will hand it over to Demiron. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious passage. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Father, we thank you for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, whose blood is so powerful, so sufficient, that it is able to call and cleanse and save people from all over the world, people from different generations and different ethnic backgrounds and different genders and different socioeconomic classes, different people groups. Father, we thank you for Jesus and his uniting power to bring together very diverse groups of people. And we pray specifically for our church that for the year 2023 
and in the years to come, that you'd help us to be a people that in the name of Jesus really works to promote the peace, purity, and unity of this body that you have brought together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.